So my scripture is from Matthew 6, 33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. I had to use this one. I think it's King James because this is what I grew up on with my mother. So this is the one I memorized. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. Matthew 6, 33. Or the Passion Translation, which is my favorite. So above all, constantly chase after the realm of God's kingdom and the righteousness that proceeds from him. Then all these less important things will be given to you abundantly. Doesn't that sound good? How many of you here have got your Christmas tree up? All right. How many Christmas trees do you guys have? Three. But they're not, the two of them are pretty, are pretty easy to do. It's my, my big one that's kind of hard to do. But I was smart this year because I had a fall tree. So I transitioned easily into Christmas by just taking my fall stuff out. So that was really smart of me, don't you think? Yeah. yeah. I really do love Christmas and everything that it represents. I'm kind of a um, romantic idealist. When I was younger and had way more energy, um, no, I'm serious. I think I probably have, and don't mock me, because remember, it's different, not wrong. I probably have 50 to possibly 60 Dickens Village houses. And I used to set them all up. That's a lot of bondage, I just want you to know, and a lot of work. Well, I mean, all over the house, like some of my mantle, some of my dining room, some on a different little display thing. And I had different themes. So you have Dickens Village, which is the um, Dick from Dickens, like Old English. Then you've got the North Pole, which has all the North Pole kinds of things. Then I had the Grinch, um, the ones that go with the Grinch. Then I had, <laughs> are you ready? Elves in the Woodlands set. And I also had, um, I think that's it. Oh, I still have some. I have most of them. But I don't set them all up anymore because it's too much work. My point being, I do love Christmas, but we can get way overboard and crazy with what Christmas really is, right? Thus, the travel light theme, you know. And I, you, can't, you can't get to be my age of 39. 39 thank you very much. <laughs> and... Um, and not have some baggage that you're dragging around behind you from all your years of just living. Because living can be hard. And being in this world can be hard. And we get hurt. And we have disappointments. We have failures. We have all kinds of things that we can drag around with us as we go through this life. And I kind of want to do a practical little sermon today on how can we unload some of our baggage and do ourselves a favor. Especially going through the Christmas season. You know, this time last year... I went down for the count last year, you guys. December the 8th was the, what's today? Is today the 8th? It's one year from today that I got the flu last year, guys. And um, I think that's when we had our Christmas party for Supper Club. Do you guys remember? Anyway, um, I had three real estate closings. My son was supposed to get married. I had um, that party. I, I got the flu. And then my family flew in for my son's wedding that didn't happen. And that was in the month of December. And then I had Christmas. I had to like buy Christmas gifts and decorate the house and do all that kind of stuff. And I think that just did me in, you guys. I, I think I just didn't have whatever it took at the age of what? 39. 39 to make it happen. 
And so this year, I've kind of vowed to myself that I'm going to do a better job of managing my energy and managing my focus. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> oh. um, Pastor Bob always sends me really super good devotionals, and one he sent me today was Living a Life of Purpose by Rick, jo what's his last name, Joyner? Yeah, Rick Joyner. Yeah, thank you. And I think that's super relevant because I think what can happen is that when we get caught up with the celebrations of this world or the expectations of this world, we will actually derail our own purpose and get in the way of our own purpose. And I believe that we all want to live a life of purpose and significance and destiny. I think that's part of our human condition is that deep, deep down, we want to be significant and we want to walk out our purpose. But I think what happens is we self-sabotage. I think that we self-sabotage with a bunch of different behaviors that are seemed acceptable to this world because we accept a lie that's not really true. And so I want to talk about, again, as I've talked about this whole year, what does it mean to live in the kingdom in a way that's kingdom-focused, that's eternity-focused, and not this world-focused, so that we get to walk out our purpose, so that we get to participate in our purpose. I think we all want to do that, right? But it takes a little bit of discipline, and I think it takes a little bit of opening our eyes. And like, like last year, whatever I did last year did not work. I mean, that did not work. And so I have to do something different this year if I don't want to go off the rails again. Right? So we're going to talk about letting go of stuff. And when I say stuff, I mean physical things. Um, if I end up preaching this month, and I think I'll preach one more time, I'm going to talk about letting go of other things that derail us, um, like our, emo, you know, our failures and our resentments and things like that. But tonight, I want to talk about letting go of physical things. And you wouldn't think that that's a big deal, but you know what? That can really get in the way again, and it can be bondage. Like it be, could be 60 or 70 different Dickens villages. And that's not including my Halloween ones or my other like fall and American July 4th ones. I have all kinds of Dickens villages, you guys. I probably shouldn't have told you that. Thank you. Okay. So I want to talk to you about when I, um, one, I lived in Texas about, before Emma was born, Christian, David was six and Christian was probably two. So that was about 23 years ago. I lived in Texas. Um, my husband and I moved from um, North Carolina to Texas for him to work with the um, Marine Corps Reserves there and hopefully get on with the airlines later on. But we didn't really have a full-time job. He didn't have a job. We were just like winging it, you know. So um, the military will move you for free. So what we decided to do was to put all of our stuff except our necessities in storage until we got a permanent place to live. And then we would go and we would rent a house and we would live on the bare minimum. And we basically bought our beds, our electronics, and our clothes. And that's all we brought. And I... I didn't know how that would be, and you guys, that was the most freeing time of my life. I had a patio, um, plastic patio table for my dining room table, and $5 plastic chairs, and that's it. And we had a couch and a TV and pots and pans and beds and clothes, and that's it. You guys, there was nothing for me to do. I didn't have to clean anything. I didn't have to manage anything. I didn't make curtains. I didn't have, I didn't have anything on the walls, and it didn't matter. Because you know why? And now I'm just getting this. Oh, this is so good, you guys. Because it was only temporary. It wasn't where I was going to end up. 
I didn't know where I was going to end up, but I knew it wasn't going to be there, that we were just passing through till he got his job, then we'd go to another house, and then I could unpack my stuff. So until then, I just had the bare necessities, and life was fantastic. In fact, I was just putting up my Christmas tree, putting the ornaments on, and um, we spent Christmas in that little, it's like a little two-bedroom condo kind of thing, townhome. And so I bought a Christmas tree from Walgreens. It was like $39, you know, one of those artificial ones. And I made, I handmade all my ornaments out of like, um, <laughs> you know, where you um, spray paint um, a pine cone gold. And then I super, yeah, like that, yeah. And then I super glued um, ribbon to it, and that was my ornament. And that was my tree. And that's all I did for Christmas. And you guys, it was fantastic. I never felt such freedom as when I lived in that place and I didn't have to worry. I didn't have to worry about impressing anybody. I didn't have to worry about going out and making sure that, you know, the art on my walls was good. And I, it, didn't, it didn't matter because I wasn't going to stay there. What if we all had that kind of attitude about here? What if we had that attitude about where we live right now is we're not going to end up here. We are, this is, we're just stopping by till we get to our final destination. And then we get to unpack and decorate the way we want to in our final destination. Side note, Judy Haynes says that when she gets to heaven, she's living next door to a restaurant so she never has to cook again. I think I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to live next door to a restaurant so I'll never have to cook again. If, you know, if we're saying that out loud, why not, Right? But I, now that I think about it, isn't that just a cool picture of the way we're supposed to be living right now? Totally unburdened by stuff and about imp really about impressing people. Because I, so um, I think so much of the stuff that we do and buy and collect is so that we live up to somebody's expectation of, of us or we fit in with the culture around us. Does that make sense? Just recently, my son David, he moved into a basement apartment. We call it his hobbit hole because the, um, the ceilings are like this high, and that's low for me, right, you know? And it doesn't have a lot of natural light or anything. And my son being my son, he, he, does, he doesn't care about anything. He, doesn't, he is a minimalist just because he's so lazy and he doesn't care, right? And so all these people that have come before him brought stuff and then just left it because they're all students, so they're not going to carry anything around. So I went into his kitchen the other day. I said, I'm going to declutter your kitchen because I can't take it any longer. And I probably threw out 30 pots and pans. And I'm like, okay, you don't need 30. A, you don't cook. And B, you don't need 30 pots and pans. So let's throw all these out. And we felt really bad <laughs> throwing them out and not giving them to Goodwill. But I'm like, we've got to get it out of here because it's it was even just cluttering up the atmosphere in the kitchen. Like, you didn't want to go in and do anything because you're like, ugh, it's so cluttered in here. And so, doesn't that just make you laugh? No. No? Okay. Ah, yeah. I know. You know, there's actually a, um, a book, you're going to love this, called The Gentle Art of Swedish Death Cleaning. Mm -hmm. It's by this lady, her, and she says that she's between the ages of 80 and 100. <laughs> The author is. But she wrote this book, and it's actually really popular. And it's the idea of going through your home and getting rid of everything that you need before you pass away so that your family doesn't have to do it. And also to cleanse your life of accumulated clutter and accumulated, for lack of a better word, bondage that you've allowed to creep into your life. Why does that make you laugh? It just makes you laugh. Okay. That's better than crying, I guess. Okay, good. Okay. 
Well, I'm not saying this to anybody. I'm saying it to myself and in general, okay? And here's the thing. In and, in and of itself, possessions aren't bad or good. They're really morally neutral. There's, unless you have something that's, I guess, evil, um, and I don't know what that would be, really. Maybe like voodoo dolls. Yeah, voodoo dolls or something like that. But I mean, possessions in and of themselves are not evil. I mean, they're, they're morally neutral. It's what you do with them, but more importantly, what it represents. You know, when I lived in Highlands Ranch, it's very easy to get caught up in the ranch, let me tell you. Who's lived in Highlands Ranch? Anybody besides me and Chris? It's easy to get caught up in the ranch, isn't it? Because everybody is driving, I don't know, were they driving a Land Rover or a... Escalades. Okay, what's bougie? Can you tell me what bougie is? Because my daughter says that all the time. Yeah, it's, um, it's keeping up with the Joneses is what it is. It's, it's um, not only, and it, it's, it, it actually permeates every part of the culture up there. And I'm sure it's down here in Castle Rock, but I see it, I felt it more in Highlands Ranch. It's not only what kind of car do you drive or what does your house look like or what kind of clothes do you wear, or how you get your nails done. It's also what sports are your kids in what grades do your kids get? Um, it's everything. It is everything. It's what kind of restaurant do you go to? What kind of job do you have? It is so image-driven, it will make you crazy if you try to live up to it. And the thing about possessions that can get really dangerous is we sometimes accumulate possessions in order to look like something, to present an image to somebody, right? Because we're trying to either fit in with something that we think is cool, so therefore we have to model ourselves after it, or um, we have an insecurity, we wanna hide something with what we maybe have or we accumulate. And I don't know what's going on with the ranch up there, I'm glad that I'm kind of down here now where I don't feel quite so much pressure, but I'll tell you what, I felt that pressure when I worked up there up until when I got divorced. And when you get divorced, your world are you laughing about that? Is that true? Your world shapes up real, real fast. And you begin to understand what are the priorities in life real, real fast. And it's not stuff. It is not things. It is not the house that you live in. It's nothing like that. That was one thing that I really tried to get a hold of after my divorce is what's, what's permanent in life? It is not stuff. It's never stuff. And so... Um, Lie number one is this, and it, it actually happened in the Garden of Eden. What you don't have is what you need to be happy, fulfilled, and complete. Remember, when Adam and Eve were in the Garden, they had access to every single tree in the Garden. God said every fruit-bearing tree, everything that you need for food, you have access to except this one tree. But what was the lie that the enemy said to him? If you don't have that one tree you're not really going to be happy. You may have 99 out of 100, but if you don't have the 100th tree, it's not going to go good for you. And, you know, they bought into it. And we buy into the same thing. <laughs> the other day I was um, comparing cell phone plans and stuff, and I went on to my AT&T thing to find out that I'm still under contract, of course, right? But, um, but, you know, I was eligible for an upgrade. 
And when I looked at that, I'm like, oh, you know what? I'm three models behind on my iPhone. I should upgrade. This has, the newest one has a better battery. It's got, you know, better camera. Like I take a lot of pictures, but I'll better, you know. <laughs> and you know what culture would say is you've got to, you've got to keep up with technology. You've got to keep up with the newest and the fastest thing because otherwise you're not hip. You're not into it. Now, I, let me give a disclaimer on this. There are some people out there, I love you, mother, who, um, who need some help keeping up with technology because it would help them be more involved in the world. I'm not talking about not having any technology or anything in your life. I'm talking about running after the newest gadget, running after the newest toy. How many of us know that there is a thing called um, shopping addiction? I know, right? Now I'm hitting the hot buttons. Shopping addictions. You see the problem, and here's where, here's where my slide needs to go, I think. Things can easily become our idols. Our focus comes off God and the real kingdom we belong to, and then we start focusing on the lies of this world. So here's our scripture, Luke 12, 15. Jesus said to the people, Be alert and guard your heart from greed, and always wishing for what you don't have, for your life can never be measured by the amount of things you possess. So what is our, what's a solution to this? Point number two, for anybody who cares, throw that crap out. Throw it out. Two, re, two main reasons that we keep hold of stuff is what? Just guess. Fear. And? Oh, you got it. High five for you, girl. So she's eating her snacks. Good girl. Fear and sentiment. Fear and sentiment. Um, in Matthew 19, 21, Jesus is talking to the rich young ruler. If you really want to be perfect, because he said, oh, I'm perfect. I follow all of your commands. He goes, well, if you really want to be perfect, go immediately and sell everything you own. Give all your money to the poor, and your treasure will be transferred into heaven. Then come back and follow me for the rest of your life. In the NIV translation, it says the rich young ruler walked away sad. And in the Passion translation, he says he walked away angry. The message, I like this the way the message says it. That was the last thing a young man expected to hear. And so crestfallen, he walked away. He was holding on tight to a lot of things, and he couldn't bear to let go. The reality is the rich young ruler was letting fear be his idol. Fear be his idol. If you go back and look at the verse, we can see here, give all your money to the poor and your treasure will be transferred to heaven. You don't lose your treasure. You transfer it to your permanent place of, of living. Interesting language, right? But we buy into that lie that we can't trust God, that we need to, we need to um, provide for ourselves and hold on to our possessions where if we did what Jesus said, we would transfer it to our eternal place of living. Now, let that sit on you for a minute. Isn't that interesting? You know, the other thing is um, sentiment. Sometimes we hold on to things because we're always looking to the past. Like we're like Lot's wife. We're like, but what about the past? What if I don't keep a hold of some... Um, 
treasure, I'm going to forget the past. What happened, to, what happened to Lot's wife? She didn't make it, did she? She didn't make it. Have you guys ever known people that are so enmeshed with their family? I kind of call it family idolatry. Have you ever met people like that? Where they're, everything is about their, either their kids or their family, that everything else comes second to that. I just want to tell you, you can't walk in your purpose if your idol is your family. That's hard, isn't it? We would never think that, would we? But even family can become an idol before the Lord. Fear and sentiment can become idols before the Lord. And he's like, you know what? You're going to have to let go of some of your things. You're going to have to not look back at your life and follow me if you want to participate in your purpose. If you want to participate and if you want to get to your final address. How can you get to your final address if you're always clinging to your old one? We do not belong, you guys, to this world. This is our waiting place till we get to unpack in the new place. It's not wrong to have nice stuff. God is a generous God. It's wrong for stuff to have you. So there is a woman called Marie Kondo. She's uh, Japanese. And she wrote a New York Times bestseller called Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up. Have you heard of her, Juliana? Yes. Marie Kanmari Kondo runs an acclaimed consulting business in Tokyo, helping clients transform their cluttered homes into spaces of serenity and inspiration. With a three-month waiting list, her KonMari method of decluttering and organizing has become an international phenomenon. The life-changing magic of tidying up is a bestseller in Japan, Germany, and the UK, with more than two million copies sold worldwide, and has been turned into a television drama for Japanese TV. She's, she has been named one of the 100 most influential people in the world by time, featured on more than 30 major Japanese television and radio programs, and profiled in the Sunday Times, Red Magazine, U Magazine, The New York Times, USA Today, NPR's Here and Now, Slate, Family Circle, and the London Times, who has deemed her Japan's preeminent guru of tidiness, a warrior princess in the war on clutter. Here's the deal. I'm not even sure she's Christian. She may or may not be. But even the world knows that things get in our way of living life. And it, what cracks me up so much, you guys, is there's so much wisdom in the Bible that sometimes we don't look at and don't want to hear, but if we hear the world reiterating, we're like, well, maybe that's true. Maybe that could be true. And here's the thing, God's known it the whole time. If we would do it his way, we wouldn't have to listen to the Japanese princess tell us about magic tidying up, right? Because we'd already be there. Things wouldn't have a hold of us. And so I think sometimes if we're going to get free to do what we're called to do, we're probably going to have to throw some stuff out. Chris and I, um, we have a closet in our bedroom that is jam, jam, jam packed. And we, we com kind of complain bitterly because we have a pretty big house, and I don't know why they didn't put bigger closets in our, right, Juliana? In our, um, our house. But then I'm like, you know what? I wear about four or five outfits over and over and over, and that's all I wear. Why do I need to have 100 outfits? Is it because I'm you know, afraid that I won't have any clothes later on? I mean, like, what's going on in my head? What makes me keep hold of all that stuff? You know, and, you know, my, my mom, she grew up with um, 
a mother who lived through the Depression. So when I would go to my grandmother's house, we would, <laughs> we would ask to go play in what was called the junk room upstairs, which was one big, she had like a bungalow, one big room piled high with stuff she had saved over the years because she didn't know if the Depression was going to roll around again. And we would find the coolest treasures. Like we might find old prom dresses of my mom or toilet paper, you know, roll, the, just, the, just the cores, you know, or old Quaker box um, oatmeal things that were just randomly stored up there, I guess. Yeah, empty, Janet, because you didn't know if you're going ha- to need them, I guess, in the future. Because that, that was the thing of the Depression, right? And so what happened to her is she went through this real time of need and never came out of the poverty spirit. That's a poverty spirit, right? That you're never going to have what you had before, so you better hold on to it. It's kind of like that Lot's wife, looking back to the past to define your future. And just like Brian Fenimore says, our future is getting better and better and better. It's not getting worse and worse and worse. And our God has made promises to provide for us, even if we go through another major depression in our economy. We're not going to starve. We're not going to be without a roof over our head. Because God, what do I always say? He's in a covenant relationship with us. He's made a covenant by himself, sworn by himself, that he will never forsake us and he will never leave us. And when we operate in a poverty spirit, we don't really believe that. We have to take care of ourselves, right? We have to be our own God, right? And I guess I'm saying to you, you know what? Sometimes you may have to throw things out to actually say to God, I believe you. Like, I believe you. Like, I would go on a picnic with my grandmother, bless her soul, and she would um, serve us on pie pans that had, like, pieces missing, like aluminum pie pans. I'm like, why are we eating on these things? Why can't we have regular paper plates? It's because she could not throw it out. And the woman, she wasn't poor. She had plenty of money in the bank account, but she had to, it made her safe to have it there. In the meantime, we didn't get to enjoy normal things because we were always like looking at this crazy stuff enough about my grandmother bless her heart (sighs) another answer to this is simply buy less you guys we're in the christmas season where it's super easy to buy everything especially those darn sales like the um like black friday and cyber monday and everything they're trying to get you to buy it's super easy to just want to buy 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 this is where bob we talk about our retail therapy i'm real real sorry 62% of people admit to shopping to cheer themselves up, which we affectionately call retail therapy. In fact, there's actually a, um, there's actually a syndrome now that they call it, um, and it's, it's a new area of psychological research called shopping addiction, because dopamine is actually released when you go shopping, believe it or not, and even, and even more so when there's a sale. When people, when they use the word sale, you automatically get more dopamine, which is like, I have to have this because it's cheaper than if I would bought it, like, regularly. (laughs) It's a real thing. It's a real thing, you guys. We're using shopping and buying to medicate ourselves from what's going on in our lives. Like Gary Smalley says, life is about relationships. The rest is just details. So I did a little experiment. Um, and I asked my kids, I said, what are the things that you remember fondly about your childhood? And, of course, it made me cry 
when I talk to them, and it might make me cry when I read them to you, okay? Emma reported the most because she's more into it than the boys were, right? Emma reported that she, the things that she remembers fondly are when we got our dog, Buddy, sleeping on the couch in front of the Christmas tree with her brother reading How the Grinch Stole Christmas, when we went on our Disney cruise, pizza nights, make, when we all made pizza together, driving together in the family as a blizzard and doing donuts in the parking lot, catching a rabbit in a window well and releasing it with her brothers in the field, driving out to Reading with her brother and her cousin, um, the chickens we had in the backyard. Did you notice that none of those things were possessions? They were all experiences. Not one of them was, I, re I really enjoyed getting that game at Christmas or those clothes or whatever. None of it was that. It was all experiences. Christian says camping, going to Silver Dollar City, which is kind of like a Elitch's, uh, waiting in line to get the newest video game at midnight with his brother, goofing around with his friend Jacob in the middle of the night on a school night when he was supposed to be asleep. David, David's report was going to Disney World, getting, autograph, oh, getting autographs from the Teenage Ninja Turtles, Eskimo Club, which is a skiing club, Silver Dollar City, doing theater in high school, and going to this cool restaurant in Puerto Vallarta when we were on our cruise. Again, not one of my kids, and I didn't tell them what I was asking them for. I just said, tell me what was the favorite thing about your childhood. Not one thing was about possessions. Not one thing. Not a bike. Not even the kind of camper we had. It was just the experience of camping. So I submit to you that if you really want to do life well, you'll spend less money on possessions and more money on your experiences and your relationships. Because your relationships are what you take to heaven, but not your possessions. And I just thought, man, that's a really good experiment to do. Psalm 19 says, 119 says, Cause my heart to bow before your words of wisdom and not to the wealth of this world. Help me turn my eyes away from illusions so that I pursue only that which is true. Drench my soul with life as I walk in your paths. The last thing is, give more. So we're, we're going to um, throw stuff out, we're going to buy less, and we're going to give more. 1 Timothy 1, Paul says to Timothy, To all the rich of this world, I command you not to be wrapped in thoughts of pride over your prosperity or rely on your wealth. For your riches are unreliable and nothing compared to the living God. Trust instead in the one who has lavished upon us all good things, fulfilling our every need. Remind the wealthy to be rich in good works of extravagant generosity, willing to share with others. This will provide a beautiful foundation for their lives and secure for them a great future as they lay their hands on, upon the meaning of life. So I like this. This will provide a great foundation for their lives and secure for them a great future as they lay their hands upon the meaning of true life. It kind of goes back to that whole thing. We'll transfer wealth from one kingdom to another. Generosity helps us to lay a beautiful foundation and get the true meaning of life. That's what generosity does. And if you have any question as to whether you're wealthy, I'll just tell you right now, you are wealthy. If you live in America, you're in the top 5 to 7% of the wealthiest people in the world. If you just live in America... Five to seven percent. If you get three meals a day, you're in the top 40 percent of the wealthiest people in the world. So don't forget that you are very wealthy. And if you give generously, you are laying a foundation for your life. 
Isn't that good? Again, going back to the secular world, you know, we've got the magic of tidying up by the Japanese woman. Well, we also have um, the secular world in psychology today says there are five benefits of giving. It makes us feel happy. It's good for our health. There's, you're less depressed when you give. It promotes cooperation and social connection. It evokes gratitude. It's contagious. Have you guys ever been in one of those lines where they're like, hey, that person in front of you paid for you, and you pay for the person back, and then they have a big um, news thing on like how long that went? I mean, I think I've heard it like going 40 or 50 or hours and hours, where especially going through Starbucks, um, it would just keep on going and keep on going and keep on going. And do you know how much it, it not just impacts the person behind you. Like when you get up there and you go to pay and they're like, hey, the person in front of you paid, you're like, what, they paid for me? That is so cool, I didn't know. And then you automatically want to pay for the person behind you, not only because you feel pressure to do it, because you kind of do, but also because you want to keep the chain going. That happened to me once when I was over at Chick-fil-A, and this was a couple of months ago. It wasn't even down around the holidays when a lot of this happens. And um, I went to pay for my meal, and she goes, the person in front of you paid for your meal. And I'm like, I'll pay for the people behind me. And she goes, oh, my gosh, this is so cool, <laughs> is what the lady said, the, the window lady. She goes, I can't believe this is so awesome. She was so thrilled to be part of something, be part of something that was happening. I want to read you a letter from a woman. Um, this is a woman who went through Starbucks, and she snapped at the employee. She was actually ugly. And she wrote, she came back the next day and gave him um, a letter and $50. She said, greetings, Starbucks barista. Yesterday at your drive-thru, we had a less than cheerful encounter. At no fault of yours, you were out of car carriers and said you could not take my empty trash, my cup. I was less than understanding. My manner was curt. I need to apologize. The thought of leaving a trail of unkindness like that is not the path I want to reflect. Not for you, not for me. You are a young man, clearly working hard to build a fortune, and you should be commended. Keep your attitude of cheer and hope. Stay hopeful no matter what kind of people cross your path or drive through. Surely God has good blessing in store. You taught this old lady something yesterday about kindness, compassion, and staying humble. I thank you. God bless you today and all of your todays, Debbie. She left him with $50 in this um, card. It went viral on Reddit. I don't know if you've ever heard of Reddit. It's kind of a social platform. I don't find it to be a positive platform at all. And this went, it went totally viral on Reddit. I just want you to know something, that generosity changes the atmosphere. Humility changes the atmosphere. If we're going to be people, I love it. I love it when you do that. If we're going to be people that changes this world, we're going to have to change the atmosphere everywhere we go. And generosity does that. And we can't be burdened down by 60 to 70 Dickens villages or um, whatever, whatever is holding us back, we've got to let it go. And remember, just like when I was living in that little condo, this is not our final destination. Why should we unpack here? We just need what we need. We can still enjoy all of the traditions. We can enjoy all of our fellowship. I had a great time with my kids. We can have the best relational time, but we don't need to be burdened down by stuff. Maybe it's time to throw things out reevaluate and decide what part generosity is going to play in our lives because I'm telling you what it's a foundation for our lives I like that scripture you guys at the end this will provide a beautiful foundation for their lives and secure for them a great future 
as they lay their hands upon the meaning of true life. That's what generosity is. If we want a great future, we're going to practice generosity. 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 18. And of course, in the passion. Because <laughs> I love the passion. So that's all I've got for tonight. That, I just wanted to encourage you during our Christmas season when we're bombarded with, you know, materialism, to really think twice about it. To think twice about where, do we, where are we going to end up and how are we going to impact this world. And maybe, you know what, pay for the person behind you in Starbucks or Chick-fil-A or McDonald's or wherever you go and see how that affects the atmosphere with what you do. Okay, so let's pray. Thank you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I just thank you so much, God. I thank you, Lord, that you are a generous God. You're so generous with us, Lord. Help us to learn to be generous to the people around us so that we can walk in the purpose that you have for us, that we will experience significance and fulfillment and lay a good foundation for our lives, Lord, that we would know the true meaning of life. And remember, this is, not, this is just our condo on the way to our more permanent home, that we don't have to unpack everything here. We get to enjoy it, but we're going someplace else. We're ending up someplace else, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that you love us so, so much. Help us to love each other well, God, and help us to love the world well. In Jesus' name, amen.